0: to an inclusive co-creation approach. You're seeing an evolution where we actually need to change the way we think about the humans that we're designing for. So movements are really important because they give people something to believe in.
1: Welcome to the Unlearned Podcast, where host Barry O'Reilly seeks to synthesize the superpowers of extraordinary individuals to think big, start small, and learn fast. Here's your host, Barry O'Reilly. Welcome to the Unlearn Podcast. On this show, I'm delighted to be joined by Kai Haley, head of UX methods and practices at Google. And she's also founder and leader of the Master Sprint Academy. Now, I've had the pleasure to both work in NoKai for many number of years, and her work is truly uh, inspirational. She was one of the first people to embrace design sprints at Google and help formulate that practice, codify it, and has coached and shared hundreds, if not thousands, of people how to use these tools to identify product visions, drive successful user-centered products, and build cultures of innovation all across Google and outside. She's an expert at leading change and creating movements and creating high-performance teams. And on this show, while it's interesting to reflect on the 10 years of design sprints and how they've evolved, really what we dive into is her experiences about creating community, about highlighting the power of bringing cross-functional teams together, especially in engineering-led cultures such as Google. This is really a story of change, movements and high performance teams. So before we get started, let's figure out some of the unique skills and experiences that led Kai, who's also been an early designer at Yahoo and started her own agency at 25 before that, that have taken to her what she's doing today.
0: I think I'm, I'm one of those people that I'm always looking for the connections across things and the, the sort of like affinities, right? Like what's connected to what and a sort of holistic view. So I do gravitate towards looking outside of wherever I'm focused right now to, you know, how are people solving things over here or what inspiration could we gain from something else? Like biomimicry is an example where we would think about, you know, how has nature solved a lot of the problems that we're trying to solve. I love that kind of concept of looking outside of even technology. I studied anthropology in my undergraduate. You know, right,
1: right. Interesting. Yeah, right. So, yeah. Um, History buffs. This is where we're going. Nice.
0: But so I'm always thinking about the human component, right? And the cultural component, which is like we're this world with all these different ways of being and and valuing things and interacting with each other and communicating. And I think that's the origins for me, since I did a lot of participant observation and explored, you know, how people's lives were being impacted. Uh, Specifically, I studied in in the Yucatan in Mexico, like looking at tourism and thinking that was when I first began to build these sort of research skills or ways of observing behavior and, and culture and value. And so that kind of has always led into, you know, the design process solving problems and understanding people. And so when I'm looking outside of the discipline of design, I'm keeping my eyes on the people and who this is for and who are we trying to solve these problems for? Because a lot of times we get kind of lost in the, I mean, systems thinking is great. Like there is a whole system here. And within this system, there are humans and organizations and all these different entities. But I, I keep coming back to that Human centered focus, where I I am fascinated by culture and humans and what they'll do.
1: It's really refreshing to hear someone like yourself talk like this, right? Because someone sees you on the show and they're like, "Oh, there's Kai Haley, You know, she runs all the design sprints for Google and has built this community and it's this massive tech company. And wow, they're building all these amazing tech products and tech, 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 tech." And yes, you know, when you're listening to you talk, so much of your foundation is around people and behavior and observing behavior and designing behaviors to emerge. And how that might show up for some folks today is inside products, right? I, I often think like, products are just automating behaviors you either want people to perform or encouraging to, to make behaviors they're trying to do easier. And we both know that there's forces are used for good and forces are used for evil on both sides of that picture. Listening as they like starting to stitch your sort of story together of so much of it being grounded around people design, but also looking for inspiration from other cultures, other disciplines, other ways of working, and sort of creating this melting pot to a lot of your work that you're so well known for now is like building all these tools to help people when I think about design sprints, I think about a very compressed period of time where you've got to bring lots of different people together make them performant, align on problems, create an environment where they can challenge each other, have very open dialogue and debate, but somehow unify around a problem, unify around a solution to it and learn something. And this is all in five days, right? And so how do you do that? I know it's sort of coming up to 10 years of of like 10 years of sprinting or whatever, you probably have a better way to describe it. And as you as some of, uh, like one of the people who was really formulative, not only creating that discipline inside Google, but you've built a whole global community around it. You know, you're teaching people inside of Google, outside of Google, in public domain, and private domain, like there's so much you're doing and you're sort of alluding towards it's not the same process every time. So, so how can you help people sort of understand a little bit of that journey? What was the aha moment for you and, and the team inside? Google to go, actually, we need to create a system where people can sort of solve problems quickly that have never worked together. What was that aha moment? And then maybe some of the fun turning points or things, how your thinking has evolved over those sort of 10 years, but maybe it's a start, started to start. Like what were some of the things that you thought were awesome at the start and were turned out to be an absolute disaster? It's always fun to hear.
0: Well, of course, my thinking has evolved a lot since I first started running sprints. And I think the early days of when we were trying it out, I was first trained in 2014, but I'd participated in an innovation week in 2013, which we hadn't called it sprinting yet. So there was still this time period between 2010 and 2013, where people were trying to figure out what is this thing that we're doing. And I think Jake may be able to anchor to when he started calling it design sprints, because it did show up in 2010 at an all hands, like design sprints is what they are. But the thing that I love about them, the thing that was like this really critical piece was we are taking design thinking methods, user research methods, business methods, bringing sort of a psychology perspective to it. How do we get people to communicate and work better together? And then using a term that was actually appealing to the engineering community, sprints. That was the term that they were using, agile sprints. And if you would go to your engineering team and say, we need to do a design thinking session, they would say, I don't really need any thinking right now. I need actionable yeah. solutions, right? Or I need prototypes or I need experiments. And so to get to a place where it was like, we can take the stuff that we know works from design thinking and combine it with the prototyping and the experiments that we can get to you know, our engineers to come and participate with us. That was, I think, kind of the genius moment where, in some ways, it was mostly about branding. Call it a design experience. We can get the engineers in the room. And at a place like Google, that's the most important thing. Get those engineers there and figure out a way to have everyone have a shared language and work together across really different kinds of people. UX and engineering often take completely different angles on things. And so to be able to to provide a structure for me the moment was like this really clearly structured uh, way of collaborating removed that confusion point between the two of and I would often as a designer in a room of engineers feel like I don't I'm not speaking the same language I can't quite gather all of you know I'm building my technology skills and my lingo but we're you know, I'm thinking about the user and they're thinking about like, you know, the problems to be solved and the, from a, a technology perspective. And so to come together, even in four hours, right? So my first sprints were four hours because that's all I could get. But because I had the power of the brand behind me and I said, you know, let's do a design sprint on this. You'll walk away with something actionable. I could get the engineers in the room And the results in those four hours were so impactful for them to be able to get that alignment, to open up the ideation process, to pull from, you know, everyone who's working on the project equally was huge. And that's when my manager started asking me to do it like every two weeks. He was like, this is push us forward so fast. We need more of this, And our engineers are asking for it. So... It didn't look like what we would define as a design sprint. In many ways, it was just a design thinking workshop. But in a very small and quick way, I was able to get what we needed as a team, which was shared vocabulary, shared understanding of success, ideation, and then we could choose a direction together and then send people off to start executing against it. And that looks really different than like what we talk about as a design sprint. After that, I started to... Well, well,
1: this is phenomenal. Like, I think it really is where it's underlining this point, you know, because so much of what you're saying resonates with what I've seen myself or in other companies where, you know, especially in tech companies, right? The engineers are this valuable commodity and don't dare take them away from the keyboard because they're only effective when they're writing code. So it's so many people, I think, who are in this space are, are facing the challenge you're describing, right? I remember when I joined ThoughtWorks and that was all engineering culture. And they're like, what do you do? And I'm like, well, I, you know, I do a bit of product, a bit of this, a bit of that. They're like, why are you here? We only need engineers. We don't need anybody else. And there was this always this sort of like reticence to anybody who couldn't write code was just like overhead. Is showing the value of these different techniques as well. I think this is one of the nuggets I, from what you were sharing there is creating these experiences, when they might be small to start, but helping people experience the benefit of it very quickly. So the aha moment they get to are like, wow, actually we're cross-functionally collaborating here. Oh, I tend to just think about how to solve an engineering problem rather than think about why am I solving this problem and for who you know, it's easy for us to fall into our, a little bit like earlier, fall into our lane, into our discipline and put our heads down. But I think for so many people listening, like they're sitting there going, wow, can I even just get a cross-functional workshop together? So it's really nice to hear you share, you know, the genesis for you of that that wasn't easy to make that happen. And so many great tips to give people a chance of it together, make it small, make it impactful from the start, but remind people, as you just did, the takeaways of we've got shared vision of success, we've looked at potential solutions, we've picked one and an experiment to run, it's fabulous. So now I'm going to make you jump in the time machine again, right? So this is great as you started to get this momentum inside the company. So let's just pick five years ago from like the sort of halfway point or something like this, right? So this idea started to like go like a wildfire within Google, right? And every two weeks, your phone's ringing so much that you're just like, I can't do another sprint. Sorry, I've got 25 lined up this week. As you were starting to look at the, this as making it repeatable, a practice, uh, and I know that you lead practice now uh, for this inside Google in this area, how did you start to recognize that there were patterns here because I know you're a pattern and even listening to your anthropology sort of stories. How did you start to see the patterns, the principles to pull those things out? What were some of the aha moments there or things that you had to even learn and unlearn? As you went?
0: Yeah, it was an interesting evolution being responsible for teaching it, right? So looking for the patterns, seeing what's working over here, what's not working over here, what should we teach? knowing that people are going to go and have their own unique situation, right? What we're trying to do is teach people to be able to problem solve in the moment, right? So giving them the understanding of what the goal is, what you're trying to accomplish, giving them the tools, and then hoping that they're going to be able to understand it well enough (laughs) to then go modify as needed. And that's always been the hard part because a lot of the learning comes from failing. And I would say most of my learning came from falling flat on my face in a number of mm-hmm. situations. And when I first was, we had the first academy in 2014, the curriculum itself was not fully fledged, mature, based in what we saw people doing. It was like, we think this is what's going to help you, right? We think this is the foundational knowledge you need. And I used to run, personally, run between four and eight trainings a year. So I would be engaging with like 40 new people and trying to help them understand like, what are you going to need to problem solve for? How are you going to need to get alignment and buy-in before you even get people into the room? And then once you get them into the room, how do you make sure you don't waste their time? Because we did, I mean, over the years, and you're talking about midpoint here, I would have people come back to me and say, Oh, I just participated in the war sprint. Such a huge of time <laughs> like that. It, you know, yeah, yeah. poorly scoped and organized. And as the, you know, lead of the academy, I'm the one who gets to hear about all the bad things, right? Like all the failures. And so I'd feel responsible for the quality, right? Of, of yeah, yeah, yeah. The, sure,
1: for you know, sure.
0: community of 4,000 people. Like, I have to make sure that everyone I train goes out there and does a good job. And that's a pretty big responsibility and also really hard because the the level of expertise of people coming into the training was really variable. Um, So we try really hard to like equip them and then give them support as they go out and create matching opportunities. But at the time, the program was primarily volunteer-led, right? I was a volunteer. Everyone was a volunteer. So you could, we could never do things the, you know, to the fullest extent that we would want to, like a, a fully funded training program that somebody might have. So a lot of what I did over the years after that was look at like, how do I get more support for this? How do I find executive sponsors? How do I find people who will help this get the resources that it needs to actually do all these things that a training program should do, right?
1: Absolutely. Um, well, like this all resonates as well with any. So, two things I've taken away straight away definitely want to underline for listeners is that this wasn't a fixated framework. You know, so much of the failures of any transformation is like all these rubbish frameworks, like uh, Safe or Scrum, or where you must follow exactly what's in the book and or else you are doing it wrong. This is a, calling out from the start that, look, this is our best guess. Here's a bunch of tools. Here's where it works well. Here's where it doesn't. I think that's so important. So people learn by doing and understanding where the tools are benefits. So it's great to hear you talk about how that was the starting mindset with, with all of this, that there was no one way to do a sprint, right? I think that's so important. But this other piece that you're talking about, about how much attention and focus actually helping people learn how to learn requires, and asking people to do it you know off the side of their desk or you know in between back to back meetings or whatever it, it's hard to build the momentum and the community and so you know without it having focus and support you know and I think you've learned that hard lesson again. Because these aren't just lessons for sprint. This is for me. These are lessons for anybody who's trying to drive change, drive an initiative, create a community. You've done fabulous in that space, right? You now have like you. You didn't just start inside Google. You've you have created this community outside of Google, like leveraging the crowd in a way where you've all these sprinters from all over the world, and you know you've run the had fortunate enough to participate and actually go to the conferences that you've sort of built up around building this community. so what little tips would you share upon reflection with people when you're when you're trying to create a movement both internally in a company and externally? what would be some of the advice you'd give yourself? you know if you knew what you knew now back then, what were your tips of what to do, maybe in one or two to avoid what would you say to people?
0: Oh, so many. (laughs) The benefit at a place like Google, I I had some benefits on my side, right? The culture at Google is one in which people are encouraged to start things, initiate, take action, beg forgiveness later, don't wait for approval. And that's like, I think, a, a culture that people are very familiar with with Google. But that makes it more right for this sort of grassroots evolution or emergence of programs like this, right? And it also encourages people to have agency and pushing things forward. So not all organizations are set up that way. So like figuring out how to create that kind of permission for people to try things is really important for other organizations. At Google, we got that for free, right? You know, it was like, yeah, sure, go ahead and do this and then we had sponsors and people who were like that seems like a good thing to do i'm seeing impact here and then over time more and more investment and culture shift right so when you start to see it at the core of the company because we really started with commerce in the the ads and commerce team you could see that it was an engine for increasing revenue so the value was very clear there in other places where you're not as attached you're you're not as connected to that kind of business outcome, it could be hard yeah. to measure yeah, for what, sure. out, for what sure. that transformation looks like. Getting to a place where this is like absorbed within the lexicon and like the way that we think of how we work, that was something that happened over 10 years, right? 10 years ago, people did not work that way. We were We did not have strong cross-functional collaboration. When I arrived, it was incredibly siloed. So We're in a much different place as a company now, and it's much easier for somebody to step in and create a movement around something when you have an environment like that. And I think one of the things that we're trying to do right now is create more of a movement around inclusive design practices and like taking our design practice that was trying to evolve from the siloed approach to a cross-functional approach, and now to an inclusive co-creation approach. You're seeing an evolution where we actually need to change the way we think about the humans that we're designing for. So movements are really important because they give people something to believe in. They give some Yeah, absolutely, to yeah. That's, that's it, on. it's
1: the lightning it's rod, you know? Yeah. Yeah, that's, these are my people, the, the people that care about the problems I care about and want to make a difference, you know? It's such an important part of the movement, for sure. It's a great call out. But, yeah. but I also like these other call you've got in there of, do think about, you know, starting, creating the agency, but also measuring success and talking about the success. It's great that you're recognizing that you were lucky, you were in an environment that, that encouraged this. But again, I think folks who might feel like they're in that environment should hear those lessons that you can't just start something and, and hope to get support. Like talk about, what success is, and then be able to show that success to get further support. I think that's a, a really little important point to underline what you're sharing in your story or what I'm hearing as well.
0: Yeah, I mean, the that perspective of knowing where to start, right? Knowing where you can show the impact. I think about it a lot in terms of, may have been a Seth Godin post where it was like, if you start pushing in one direction and it doesn't give or move, push in another direction and, and find the place where the momentum is and also be really strategic about that, that focus, which is will the, the impact be demonstrable here? Will it be measurable here? And so while we weren't necessarily that intentional, we, I say the group that started the academy, it was like across all PAs, what we saw was the people who gravitated towards it, who started seeing the value really quickly for those who are able to measure it, right? And so that's where the investment came from. We still see parts of the company that don't use that methodology or use that terminology. They might use something else or they might work in a different way. They might measure impact in a different way. So one of our goals right now is to try to help people get a, a similar way of measuring success so that we, as a big company, can collaborate across lines because I think that's one of our bigger challenges. But it's really important to not push and really hard in an area that's not moving, right? Like be more strategic or as we like to say at Google, work smarter, not harder.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It's like I'm I'm smiling because, you know, I, I think very similar approach when, you know, when you're trying to help transform companies, right? Like focus on the people who want to change, like make people who are struggling great rather than people who don't really want to change and it takes so much energy to move them rather than people who are curious keen want to give it a go you know they might be a ragtag crew but but they want things to change and and make them great rather than sort of try to push up against these you know it's where there's no give i like that analogy like trying to find the soft spot and, and use that as the to start the momentum because Momentum is such a powerful thing when you're trying to build change, right? You're spot on. I totally agree with the measure the impact, communicate the impact. Like that's what builds exec support. But the people, the getting the people on board, is for me is like getting the people who are really bought in and helping them succeed because that creates a snowball. And I always think there's there's a match. Someone did some amazing research somewhere that said once you get to eleven percent of of the crowds that are, on, are moving, it's inevitable that you're going to get to the rest of the, the 89%. Look, I can do maths today. That's really good. You know, so I think it's fascinating. So, you, you know, again, you you managed to sort of push through that challenge. And here we are like sort of 10 years of sprinting or, you know, however it's been commemorated. Uh, I'm really keen to ask you sort of looking ahead then, what are some of the new horizons? Like your 10 years in Google's, 10 years of sprinting, God, it just seems to be a fun question to ask you. Of You've done so many different styles of sprints from doing visionary work to you know very specific focus problems, probably right down on the search page. Too. So tell me a little bit about where your head's at. Where do you see the future of this sort of method going? And what's exciting you about that?
0: It's very interesting to think about what is ahead the next 10 years. We recently brought together like 100 people to put their heads together on that. What, what do we think this discipline is going to look like in the next 10 years? And I still see humans very much at the heart of it, right? We oh, Thank we, you. <laughs> we talk about AI, right? What can AI afford us? You know, what does creativity in, in an automated space look like? Or how do we accelerate creativity, accelerate collaboration? So, you know, there are things that tools and technology can afford us, but we still need to bring the people with us. We still need to be able to communicate with each other. And I think when I was thinking about what did I have to unlearn this last year, primarily interfacing with people through technology now, as we've all been sort of, you know, in our little boxes, has changed how we learned, you know, how we communicate. We've had to learn new ways of communicating. And I think it's making it even harder for us to hear each other and to connect. And we, we can't spend as much time together because this interface is exhausting and draining. Intense. And yeah. so, so I'm seeing like how we facilitate, how we communicate is mediated through the technology and the tools will improve. People are busy like innovating and trying to get us out of our boxes and, and into more open collaborative virtual spaces. Mm-hmm. But we still need to be able to get signals from people to know, are you listening? Are you engaged? Am I communicating clearly enough? Do you hear what I'm saying? There are new skills to be able to collaborate or communicate or facilitate in the virtual context. I don't know how long we'll be virtual for, but once you start to show that we can work this way and we don't absolutely have to be in person We're going to start seeing this as more of the default and in-person as that very unique, special moment that we design for, especially with companies that are distributed and global, right? To get on a plane and, and fly somewhere is going to be not as easy as it used to be. So I think a lot about synchronous and asynchronous collaboration, like how do we make the most of the limited time that we have together, whereas we used to, in some ways... It was very luxurious to have all this in-person time together with simple tools like pens and Sharpies and Post-its. And now we have to negotiate the technology to make the most of our time together and understand what alignment do we need to get? What ideation do we need to get? What buy-in do we need to get? Or sense of ownership, I guess, is really what it comes down to because you get all that for free When you're in person together in a workshop, you can feed people, and that makes them feel good. You can play nice music. You could take them outside together and go for a walk. All these things that I love about convening people, I can't do. I have to develop new tools and new ways of you know building connection and fostering that sort of creative moment that we love. That kind of you know, I have a great solution, and you you just inspired me. The things I love from this work. I don't see as much of it now in this space we just see ourselves banging against the virtual space and the tools and you know looking for those moments and and they're much harder to get
1: well i love the way that you're framing it in terms of moments as well right like i think you know, there's so many analogies that that spring to mind. Like the the one that always comes to my mind with collaboration is like jazz music. People to be able to respond to each other, and and it doesn't have to be vocal, right? It's the somebody somebody moves, somebody, you know, the energy they curate when people are together that can spark other ideas. You know, like we're we're not like the the remote tools can't offer us that. It, you know, we're missing some of these things and. It's so interesting, the contrast, and I keep hearing this with a lot of a lot of folks as well, is when will be the times that people want to come together to work on highly creative complex work? Well, these moments, it's funny as you, just, you think of whatever they're, they're called, design sprints or what, but I'm thinking of that very first moment you described of trying to bring people together, engineers, designers customers. It didn't have to be called a sprint. It was just a moment where people had to solve problems together. It just seems like it's going to be so crucial. And the ability to maximize that time, if you know, because I, I, you know, you can see already, one of the things I do is run a mastermind with Slack. And we've got 150 execs in this Slack group. And everyone's talking about how little there will be in the office, right? Salesforce today just gave up a lease on their second largest property, apart from the, the Bloody Tower in downtown San Francisco. And so the spaces the companies sort of occupied is gonna get smaller, on, and they're expecting people to spend less in-person time in a, a location. So I think those moments, as and this is what's, when you said that word, it just really resonated with me. These moments where we bring people together are gonna to be shorter, they're gonna be more compressed, Therefore, there's more pressure to get an outcome in this limited space of time. So I think a lot of these methods that you and and many others have been sort of honing over time are going to become even more important. Is like if we have a day, a two days where people are coming in from different parts of the world, like how are we going to make that moment impactful, measurably impactful as well to your other points? I think this sort of skill is just going to become so important in terms of collaboration. So that that's sort of what excites me as I hear you talking in this way. It's like listening to the lessons you've learned of what makes a great, whatever we want to call it, creative, complex, problem-solving moment where people come together, like how to make the mess of that. So maybe with that as a little tee up for you, what would be some little tips that you would just say to folks, you know, having convened? so many, like, I again, I don't think there's probably one or two more people in the world who've done as many sprints as you. So what would be your little tips for folks when they ha- do have this moment in the future where they have to convene people in person that they can really make the most of it? What would be your little tips for them? Uh,
0: in person? Now you're going to get me like fantasizing. <gasps>
1: yeah. I can see. Yeah, you're listening, your, your face is like firing up here. It's pretty oh, funny. Oh my goodness. Yeah. You
0: know, I haven't even really been able to think about it because it's all in this virtual space. I think the thing that keeps coming to mind and one of the things that this last year has shown me is that we talk a lot about acceleration and we talk a lot about like moving fast and getting those outcomes, like you said. But I think part of what we need to do is slow down a little bit and be thoughtful and I think that's one of the things that has been coming up when we think about what is an inclusive design practice is making more time to understand each other's perspectives and using more of the techniques that we have to really listen to each other and make space for each other. Because sometimes when we move fast, we don't listen or we're running over other people or we're not considering what we call the critical underserved journeys, right? Or the people who've been marginalized and making more time for that and thinking about how precious that time is rather than thinking about it in a way of, I need to get more in, I need to cram more into it, is actually not putting as much in. And as a person who designs agendas and always puts in too much and always wants to get more out, I think I'm even saying this to myself, which is, make those moments meaningful. And what? where does meaning come from? And it comes from human connection and understanding each other. So I would keep that eye on it. When we start getting back into, I could actually get five or six hours in person with you. I would want to really spend that time making the space for those conversations and those connections and building that safe space for people.
1: Well, if there's one thing we love on this show, Kai, it's contrary views to what people would think that would normally happen. So I love that idea of actually doing less will get you more. And I think that's just such a great, a great insight for folks. Well, look, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. There's so many great takeaways, I think, and, and just to, to hear the evolution both in your thinking of, and this isn't, hasn't been about sprints, this has been about leading change, creating communities, building movements, how to create great collaboration with high-performance teams. So thank you for so many of your, your insights and sharing that with us. It's been a pleasure to have you on the show.
0: Well, thank you. It was a lot of fun, and I love the, the turns and twists that we took with this conversation. Very exciting. Thank you.